I've learned something over uh, the course of this pandemic, and that is the value of repetition. So I'm going to give you six numbers, and I want you to try to remember these. Don't write them down, but I want you to just try to remember these six numbers. 34, 19, 73, 18, 52, and 93. Now I want you to take a minute, and in the comments, I want you to write those six numbers down that I just told you. And let's see how many of you can get it right. Uh, without cheating, what were the six numbers that I just gave you? And if you get it right, we're not going to give you anything, but at least you'll have bragging rights. So can anybody remember those six numbers? Okay, good. All right, let, let's do a second one. Let's see if this one would be a little bit better. I'm going to give you six more numbers. Okay, you ready for this? Try to remember these six numbers. 34, 34, 34, 34, 34, and 34. Now, who can, who can write those down? Well, of course, the second set of numbers was a lot easier because I'm repeating the same number over and over again. So 34, uh, if you repeat it six times, it's easier to remember that than it is to remember just 36 uh, kind of random numbers, right? And so the, the thing I want you to see is that repetition works. Now, some of you parents during the pandemic, if you're like me, you've learned that repetition doesn't always work because I feel like I'm telling my kids the same things over and over again, and they're not remembering it. It's like they're forgetting the rules. And so, but repetition works. And as we've studied through the book of First Peter, we have seen really two themes that have been repeated very often throughout this book. The first one uh, is the theme of suffering and the reality of suffering, that in this life we are going to go through difficulty and challenges. In First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, in the beginning of his letter, he said that we would be grieved, these Christians would be grieved by various trials. In verse 7, he said that the genuineness of their faith would be tested, and he compared it to gold being tried in the fire. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, he, he talks about that as Christians, sometimes people would speak against us, and we're going to come to that later in the, the passage we're going to respond to today, or read today. And, and also in chapter 2, we learn that sometimes masters can be harsh to servants, and governments can be harsh to people. And then we get into chapter 3, and he talks about the reality that sometimes your spouse for the wives won't be a believer in Jesus Christ. And in, in the middle of chapter 3, that we would be reviled at times, that sometimes people would speak against us. In chapter 4, which we'll be getting into the next couple of weeks, uh, Peter reminds these Christians or tells them about the impending fiery trials that they would be facing. And so often throughout this book, we've had this theme repeated over and over again. There's suffering, there's trials, there's suffering, there's trouble, there's heartache, there's difficulty in our lives. But there's also been another resounding theme that he's repeated over and over again. And it's simply this, to hope in Jesus. Place your hope in Jesus. Let Jesus be the example of how we respond in very difficult and trying circumstances. When we suffer, he says to hope in Jesus. When we face trials, hope in Jesus and cling to him and hold on to him. In the midst of an unholy culture, we're called to, to be like Jesus and to live holy lives. And so we see these two themes that Peter is repeating over and over again, that there's going to be suffering, but to hope in Jesus. That real hope, when all seems lost, is found in Jesus Christ. And in today's passage in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, you're going to hear those two themes again, but I think with a slightly different emphasis. And so I want us to actually pick up where we left off last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 
He said, he writes, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteousness and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So in this passage, Peter is actually quoting from Psalm 34. Uh, and that's actually been a psalm that has really resonated with our hearts, especially in light of some of the things that our church members have been suffering through. And that's the passage that talks about that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. But, but you hear what he's saying there. And, and there's this contrast in this quote from Psalm 34 between light and darkness, between righteousness and unrighteousness. And we talked about this last week, that, that we as Christians are called to live lives of blessing to other people, that we are called to bless others, and we do that through unity and through sympathy, through brotherly love and being tenderhearted and being forgiving and, and being humble and, and having our, our speech controlled and, and to be pure and to seek peace and pursue it. And we talked about all of those kind of must-haves if we're going to live a life that blesses other people. And this is what God calls us to to live a life that blesses others, and in doing that, that life is going to be blessed by God. But then he goes into verse 13, and he, see, he asks what seems to be a rhetorical question. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, who's going to do evil to you if the pursuit of your life is doing good and living a godly life? I was having a conversation with one of my kids, and this was a, a conversation that was not the first one we've had in his lifetime, or especially during this pandemic. And I was getting on to him for the same thing that he had done over and over and over again. And at the end of it, he said, you always say that. And I explained to him, yes, that's right. When you, when you do wrong things, my job is to correct you. And I'm going to keep correcting you every single time that you do that thing. And so I told him, yeah, when you do what's wrong, you're going to be in trouble. And so I got on to him and disciplined him because of the wrong that he had done. But imagine how confusing it would have been for my son if he was doing something good or doing something right. And, and I disciplined him for that. That doesn't make sense. And that would never make sense. And yet in verse 13, that's exactly what Peter says could happen. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? It seems rhetorical, like surely no one would would harm us for doing good. And yet look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That first part of verse 14, I think, is so telling that sometimes we will suffer for doing what is right. You can go to a website if you go to Google and Google Voice of the Martyrs. I think their website is persecution.com. The Voice of the Martyrs is a, is a website that's dedicated to helping Christians who are suffering persecution around the world. Now here in the United States, we don't really suffer a lot of persecution for our faith, although I do see that coming and becoming more and more of a trend for, for Christians down the road. But if you go to that website, they have a magazine and they, they tell the stories of people that are suffering persecution for doing what God had called them to do or taking a stand for God. In fact, I read one story from Vietnam of a 49-year-old woman that she was assaulted by local authorities there in Vietnam because she refused to give up her Christian faith. 
And here's the story. It says, on May 5th, 2020, authorities visited Den, that's her name, and told her that they would help her during the COVID pandemic if she would sign a statement giving up her faith. When Den refused to sign the document, an official grabbed a kettle of boiling water from her kitchen and poured it all over her legs. Den was taken to the hospital, but since her family is very poor, they could not pay for her treatment. And because she is a Christian, she's not been issued health insurance. I read another story from Laos about seven families from two tribal groups that are nearing starvation after their village authorities confiscated their farmland because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And the story reads about 50 people from the Camus and Hmong tribes uh, formed the seven families. And their faith is strong and everyone is actively serving one another in the Lord, wrote a voice of the martyr's partner. The families are experiencing severe persecution, however. Authorities have taken their land and do not allow them to farm. When the village experienced a drought earlier this year, the government distributed rice to everyone except the Christians. And authorities told them that if they want help, they must renounce their faith. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine that these people would suffer like that for their faith. Just for living for Christ and just for saying that they're believers in Jesus Christ and living out what they believe about Jesus, they're being, they're being tortured. Some of them are being killed. Some of them are being uh, starved to death and losing their livelihood. And even though we may not have faced that exact type of persecution, the reality is that in our lives, sometimes we do suffer for doing what is right. I've talked to young people. I've been working some with the teens during this COVID pandemic and and talked about their faith. And some of them have, have shared with me that at times when they make a stand for Christ, they can get picked on. And that makes them a little bit fearful to make a stand or even invite someone to come with them to youth group or to church. Sometimes people suffer because of their faith in that their family isolates them. And, and people begin you know, to follow Christ. And then their family says, oh, what are you now, holier than thou? I mean, all of these ty types of things. And sometimes we feel loneliness when we're uh, taking a stand for Jesus Christ. If, if we're a devout Christian and we're really trying to pursue Christ and to follow him and to live according to what he says in his word, we can feel isolated from the people that we work with. And sometimes from the people that we might play sports with. I remember when I was in high school feeling like on all the teams that I played in, and I played uh, in, in baseball and basketball, just feeling like at times I didn't fit in. I felt like kind of an outsider and a weirdo because my convictions uh, were very strong as a Christian, and I wouldn't take part in some of the things that everyone else would take part in because of my faith. And because of that, I felt like I was isolated, and I, I never really kind of fit in to that group. And I want you to look again at that first phrase of verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, Peter reminds these Christians that at times we're going to take a stand for what is right and we're going to suffer because of that. But Peter gives us five responses that we can have when we suffer because of righteousness or because of our stance for Christ. And the first response is, is found in verse 14. He says to consider yourself blessed by God. I want you to take a minute and write that down maybe in the comments of your or in the in the uh, uh, margins of your Bible or maybe write it in the comments that our response is simply this to consider yourself blessed by God. Notice what he says in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Now, that seems kind of counterintuitive for us. How do we consider ourselves blessed by God when we face trials and suffering? Well, first, we need to be reminded that God sometimes uses our suffering to strengthen us and to make us more like Christ. 
In the book of James, James wrote this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The reality is that God uses our suffering to strengthen us and to make us more like Christ, to mature us, to grow us in our faith. And so we can consider ourselves blessed when we suffer for righteousness sake, because we know that God is going to use that struggle or that trial to make us more like Christ. Pastor and author John Piper wrote this, this is God's universal purpose for all Christian suffering, more contentment in God and less satisfaction in the world. When we suffer, we consider ourselves blessed by God because God is going to use our suffering to grow us and to strengthen us and to make us more like Christ, to have less of a hold on the things of this world and to hold tightly and cling to Jesus Christ. The second reason that we can say that we're blessed during our suffering is there's a future reward for enduring trials. I don't know if you're, you're like me, but um, it, it's very difficult for me to take on long-term projects. And the reason for that is I need somewhat of some instant gratification, if you know what I'm talking about. Anybody else like me, maybe give me a raised hand emoji on that. I, I like to be able to do a project and take a couple hours and then be done. But some of the longer projects in my life that I know at the end of that there's going to be a reward, but it's more difficult to stay with it through the process because the reward seems to be so delayed. In Jesus' first message, in his first sermon that's recorded in Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, we get eight sentences into his sermon, and he says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness or for the sake of Christ. And they, the idea there is that at the end of the suffering, there's going to be a reward and that reward is the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven never promised us that we would be free from suffering. There are people that, that put their faith in Christ and then they realize that the Christian life is not easy. It's not always going to be something that's really easy to pursue and to live out in their lives. And the kingdom of heaven never promised us that. Jesus never said that once you place your faith in Christ, you'll never suffer again. But he does say that when we suffer, our suffering will be rewarded. So when we suffer for righteousness sake, the first response in our lives is to consider ourselves blessed, knowing that God is going to use this suffering to grow us and to strengthen us and to make us more like Christ, but knowing also that our suffering is not going to be in vain, that at the end of it, it's going to be rewarded. And yes, it may take us a while to get to that reward, but know that in the end, God does reward us for the suffering in this life. The second response we find in verse 14 is don't be afraid or anxious. Maybe write that in the comments as well. A second response, don't be afraid or anxious. If you look in verse 14 at the end, he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. When we suffer for righteousness sake, we need to not fear what people may say about us. We, may, we, we should not be scared of or anxious about what people might do to us in our lives for standing up for what we believe to be right. In verse 14, he uses the word fear. It's in the English, it's the word fear. In the Greek, it's phobeo, from which we get our word phobia. But what's interesting, the interesting word to me is not just that fear or that phobia that we might have. It's the word troubled. 
It means to stir up, to be unsettled, and, and intimidate someone. It's kind of like if you had a glass of water and in the bottom of it there were all these, you know, all this sediment. There was dirt and, and things. And then you just took a spoon and began to stir it up. And all of those different uh, things started moving around that water. That's the idea that we find in the word troubled. It means to be irritated or agitated, to be unsettled. And so many times in our lives when we're living for Christ, something happens and we begin to suffer because of that decision. And then all of a sudden we get agitated. We begin to get troubled. We begin to get unsettled inside. And what happens is fear and anxiety work hand in hand against us. Did you know that over a hundred times in scripture, the word of God tells us, do not be afraid, do not fear, or fear not. Those three phrases are used over a hundred times in the scripture. Fear is the antithesis or the opposite of faith. But faith is the antidote of fear. If you remember in John chapter 14, Jesus had told his disciples uh, just prior to that that he was going to be dying. He was going to be leaving the earth soon. And in John chapter 14, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Jesus begins this teaching by saying this, let not your hearts be troubled. It's that same word that's used in 1 Peter. Let not your hearts be troubled. And, And here's the key to it. Here's how we remove fear and anxiety from our lives. Jesus said this, believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, don't let your heart be shaken. Don't let your heart lose faith. Don't let your heart be anxious. Believe in God and believe also in me. So faith is the antidote of fear. Many times in our lives, we get afraid and we get anxious because we forget that God is with us and that God is for us and that that God has us in his hands. I read a quote this week that said, when fear knocks on your door, send faith to answer. And what I found in my own life is that I'm fearful either of what I know or what I don't know, either the known or the unknown. And, And in our lives, what we have to know is that God, whether we know the outcome or not, God knows it. And so we can trust in him We can rest in him. We can let our hearts not be troubled by things in our lives where we might be persecuted or suffer because of what we've been doing and living for God. We have to entrust God with our lives and trust him that he he will take care of it. I shared last Sunday evening in our uh, night of worship together that when Jesus first appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, the first word he said to them was, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. And the reason he spoke that was the verse before was that they were locked inside of that upper room for fear of the Jews, that they would meet the same end that Jesus had met just a few days prior. And the first word he spoke to them was peace. And I shared with you that in that moment, what Jesus was saying to them is, I've got this. I've overcome the grave. And not only do I have this, but he reminds them, I've got you. And so I want to encourage you today that don't be afraid and don't be anxious. When we suffer for righteousness sake, consider ourselves blessed by God, knowing that God is going to use that to strengthen us and grow us and make us more like Christ. But also don't be afraid or anxious. If we look down to verse 15, we'll find the third response. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
The third response is to honor Christ in your heart. Maybe write that in the comments as well as a declaration. To honor Christ in your heart. He says to them, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord. Now the language here, we won't you know, get too deep into this, but the language here is actually found in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. In that passage, the Lord called the people of Israel to stop fearing the threats of the pagan world. They were surrounded by people who were not followers of Yahweh or God, and they were fearful because they were being threatened on all sides by the enemies of God. And he told them, rather than fear the enemy, trust in God and rely on him. In fact, I want you to look in your Bible at 1 Peter chapter 3 in the last part of verse 14. And I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 12. And I want you, as you're reading 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, I want you to look at the similarities between what Peter says here to what Isaiah said to the people of God in Isaiah chapter 8. So I'll read Isaiah chapter 8 and you read Isaiah chapter 3 at the last part of verse 14. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Now you might have noticed a distinction that that might seem small, but I want us to dig in here just for a moment. Isaiah told the people of Israel in the Old Testament that the Lord of hosts is to be honored as holy. And that, that phrase or that title, Lord of hosts, was a reference to Yahweh, who is the true God of the Bible, the, the true everlasting God. But the Lord of hosts, you shall honor him as holy. In other words, Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God, is to be honored as holy. But what did Peter say in verse 15? That they are to honor Christ the Lord. In that statement, I want you to make the connection. Isaiah said, honor God as holy. And Peter says, honor Christ as holy. And when you read those together and with understanding, you'll see that what, what Peter was saying is that when we honor Christ as holy, we are honoring Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. In other words, Jesus Christ is Yahweh God of the Old Testament. They are not different. Jesus was not a lesser God. He wasn't a different God. He was God. He was Yahweh of the Old Testament. And Peter says that we are to honor him as holy and exalt Jesus Christ to the throne of our hearts and lives and to acknowledge who he, who he is with reverence and with fear. So when we suffer, Peter says, we should honor Christ as holy. We should lift up Jesus Christ in our lives and give him the throne of our lives and to remember that Jesus is God and that Jesus has us and he has our situation. He's got this and he's got you. So three responses that we've seen so far. And the first one is to consider yourself blessed. When you suffer for righteousness sake, Consider yourself blessed by God. The second one is to know that there is a future reward for us. And don't be anxious or afraid. Don't be anxious or afraid. And the third response is to honor Christ in your heart. And the fourth one is to share the hope that is in you. I want you to write that down in the comments. I want everyone to do it. And there's a reason for that. Just write down, share the hope that is within me. We need to be reminded that we have hope. And that hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. 
I want you to notice the language of the last part of verse 15. Peter writes, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That word defense is the Greek word apologia. And it's a legal term that means to give an account. It would be like our modern day deposition. And, and a deposition is you, you sit down and you share with people the truth that you know. If you're a witness to something, then you give a deposition. You tell them, this is what I know. This is what I saw. And what Peter tells these Christians is, as they suffer for the sake of righteousness, he says, you need to be prepared to share the hope that you have in Jesus, to give a reasoned and truthful defense of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. One of the things that has really, I have to admit, irritated me lately is this phrase that has made its way into our culture and into our lives, and, and it's, you speak your truth. And when I, when I hear people say that, it makes me crazy. And the reason for that is because what, what people mean when they say that is, is you speak what your version of the truth is. But the reality is sometimes the truth that people speak, their truth, I should say, is not the truth at all. I mean, I could tell you, look, my truth is two plus two equals five, and that doesn't make it true. So I could say, well, that's my truth, and two plus two equals four might be your truth, but five is mine, and that's not the way that it works. Truth is truth, regardless of what we think about it, and regardless of whether we claim it as truth. But what I want you to see here is that Peter is telling these believers to give a reasoned defense for the hope that they have in Jesus. And he's not telling them to just share their truth, he's telling them to share the truth. That hope in Jesus is real. That it's not just your own experience, but you know the reality that hope is found in Jesus. And I believe that as Christians, we need to be more ready and bold to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because it's not our truth, it's the truth that Jesus is the hope of the world. And I'll, I'll confess to you that, and I'm ashamed to admit this. But I believe, I've seen in my own life, that I am most bold to share my faith when I'm preaching funerals. And I know that sounds weird, but let me explain what I mean by that. In my daily interactions, I'm not nearly as bold to tell people about the hope that I have in Jesus. And sometimes we can be fearful because we think, man, if I'm too bold about this or if I share too much, then people might look down on us in some way. But when it comes to funerals, I've often wondered, why is it? Because I can stand up to that, at, at that service and boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world and to tell those grieving family members that our hope is in Jesus Christ and knowing that some of the people sitting in the crowd are not going to be followers of Jesus. Some of them may be skeptical. Some may be atheists. Some might be of other faiths. But I stand up with boldness and tell them that I believe that hope is found in Jesus Christ and there are reasons for that. There's a truthfulness to that. And maybe because it's maybe it's because in that moment when the family members are brought brought face to face with the reality of, of death being a result of sin, maybe that's what makes me more bold. But what we need to do is be more unapologetic in sharing our faith with other people. I've heard people say, Well, now's the time to listen, and I'm telling you, 
That yes, we can listen with empathy and try to understand people, but what people need and the cure for what ails us is the hope of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the hope for mankind. You can't legislate changed hearts. Only Jesus can change hearts. And so Peter says we need to be prepared. Did you see it there? To be prepared to share our faith. One thing that you might be able to do is sit down this week and just take a moment to write out the story of of your relationship with God. And do it in three parts. This is who I was before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is what my life has been like since I met Jesus. And just by writing out your story, maybe you would be better prepared to share your faith with other people and to give a defense for the hope that's within you. Back earlier this year when J.D. was baptized, uh, if you know J.D., she's just such a sweet young lady. She came to faith in Christ and we were going to baptize her on a Sunday evening. And sometimes when it comes to baptisms, people, uh, you know, I'm a pastor, so I speak all the time. And so it's kind of a natural thing for me. But sometimes people become a little bit hesitant. I tell them it'd be great if you would share your story of Christ um, rather than me sharing it for you. But some people aren't comfortable with that. And I understand that. But we were we were gathered together at my neighbor's house at the McFall family uh, at their house. And they had graciously volunteered their pool for the baptistry that evening. And so I was just introducing what we were doing that night and saying a little bit about baptism. And then J.D. shared her story. And I was standing off camera. If you go back on Village Park's uh, uh, Facebook page, you can find that video. But as J.D. was sharing her story, I, I just was really moved to hear her tell her story in her own words. And she shared that she had always believed in Christ, that she knew about Christ. But then she said, but I thought that I had to be this perfect person to accept him. And so she said she started writing down her prayers. And then on Good Friday, she began to feel, she got this feeling that she said made her happy. And then she knew that that was the day that she wanted to have peace with him to accept Jesus Christ as her Savior and be saved. And just listening to her share her story, her truth, which ultimately is the truth. I've been watching the news this week. I know many of you have as well about What's happened in Louisiana? Having gone through Harvey and the flooding there in 2017, many of you uh, know the devastation and the heartache that comes from that. But I was watching one particular uh, interview and they were just walking down the street and these families had lost everything. They're in Lake Charles where they were interviewing. And they walked upon this one family and it was a husband and wife and they were standing there in their driveway and they were just looking at the rubble of what used to be the home where they lived. And, And the reporter came up and asked them about how they feel. How, he said, how are you feeling right now? How are you guys doing? And they said, of course, we're devastated. But they said, but you know what? God has been good to us. We're alive and we have each other. And then they went on to begin to share their faith about what it means to trust God even in the midst of suffering. And I was just sitting there, wow, this is amazing that these people are doing exactly what Peter said. Someone asked them how they were doing and how they could have the kind of hope that they had. And and rather than talk about a self-help book or, or that they're clinging to each other, they said, first and foremost, our hope is in God. I was talking to some friends recently who were facing the death of a loved one and they were overwhelmed by grief. And yet they were hopeful in that conversation. And they said what I've heard so many Christians say at the moment of the passing of a loved one. They asked, how do people face these times without Jesus? How do people face the difficulties of life without Jesus? And my answer is, I I really have no idea how they do it. 
I have no idea how they can suffer through that. But Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that when our loved ones pass away that we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Because we know that Christ has risen from the dead. And if Christ has risen from the dead, those who are asleep in Christ, we will, they will be raised up. And so, yes, I believe that, that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And I don't know how people do it without Jesus. And people say, well, yeah, but faith is a crutch. And I would tell people, you better believe that it is. You better believe that I lean upon my faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not a false crutch. It's not some kind of made up thing. It is real hope. And Peter says we need to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. But I want you to highlight something in verse 15. At the end he says, do it with gentleness and respect. And my goodness, if we ever needed counsel from the word of God in our day and time, we should highlight that last part. With gentleness and respect. Gentleness is meekness. And that's a quiet strength. And respect is often translated in the New Testament as the word fear. And what Peter's saying is that when we share our faith, we shouldn't have a fear of people. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a fear of God. And so we should share our faith with quiet strength, but also out of a reverence for God. And there's a reason for it in verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In verse 16, we find the fifth response to suffering for righteousness, and that is to keep a good conscience. Let your lifestyle be consistent with what you speak. It's been all over the headlines this last week, last Sunday. Our nation's largest Christian university has gone through, uh, gone through the ringer with the news because they're the president of the university stepped down this week as news broke of various affairs, sexual affairs in their family. And the message boards and social media and the media erupted because yet again we had another Christian leader who wasn't living out what he preached. And we should in our lives live in such a way, Peter says, that when people speak slanderous words against us, that they will be put to shame, not us. When people say that we're doing wrong things or they're speaking against us, our lives and the life that we're living should put them to shame for speaking those things against us. But far too many times in our lives, when people say those things against us, unfortunately, we're guilty of it. I went through a very difficult and hurtful time many years ago, and many of you know the story of it. But I had some things said against me and said about me in, that, in the midst of that. And it was just this whirlwind of emotion but what God led me through in that time and, and one of the times when things began to really turn for me, I had this moment when I realized that the things that were being said weren't true. That what was being said of me was not being lived out in my life. And what I came to is, is this, that when I laid down my head on my pillow at night, I shared this with many uh, pastors and leaders. When you put your head on your pillow at night, there's one person who knows the real you and that's God. And he's the one that we answer to and he's the one that we live for. And I found satisfaction if I could put my head on my pillow at night and know that God knew the real me. And then secondly, that my wife and my kids knew the real me. That I was living out my true Christian faith with those who knew me best. And, and what I hope is, I, I knew that at that time I couldn't answer every single thing that was being said. But what I hoped was the life that I lived would show them what is true in my life. Because Peter said in verse 17, look at this. 
It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing what is right than wrong. And I have found in my own life that even in the midst of some of that struggle that I went through, there were some things that I had done wrong. Not morally wrong, but things that I've done that hurt people. And I would say to you that those are the most difficult uh, moments of suffering for me. When I suffered because of decisions that I made. And Peter says it's better for us to suffer for doing good than it is to suffer for doing evil. And he ends this teaching with a powerful statement in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. So Peter has said there's that resounding theme. There's suffering. But then he says, hope in Christ. Christ is our example. Because what Peter said in verse 18 is that Jesus suffered for doing good. And in verse 18, you find a beautiful summary of the gospel. In fact, maybe take a minute and just type it out in the comments as a declaration. Notice the summary of the gospel that Christ also suffered. The gospel is that Jesus suffered on the cross. But notice what he says there in verse 18, that he suffered once for sins. Jesus only suffered one time. And on the cross, he died and paid the price once and for all, for all sins. The sins that were before the cross and every sin that would ever be committed after the cross. Jesus died and offered one time a sacrifice for sins. The writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 10 and verse 12, but when Christ had offered it for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And right before that, he'd been talking about the high priest that we find through the Old Testament. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people for the sins of the people and the sins of the nation. But, and, but yet they were constantly standing, ministering in the holiest place. But Jesus, when he died, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says that he offered once and for all the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. The work for the sins had been paid and finished it with Jesus Christ. So Jesus suffered on the cross and he suffered once. But notice also that this verse tells us that Jesus was perfect. He calls him the righteous. Some translations render this the word ju just. That Jesus was the righteous. But notice it also tells us that we are sinners. The righteous in place of the unrighteous. But notice also that the death of Jesus was substitutionary. The death of Jesus was a substitute for us. Notice the phrasing of verse 18. The righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous, perfect Jesus died in place of the unrighteous, sinful Robbie. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, died in the place of you, in your place. I've heard people ask, well, how could a loving God send people to hell for eternity? And this verse teaches us something clearly, that we are sinners, we are unrighteous, and our sins have to be dealt with in the presence of a holy God, because he is holy. And the love of God is seen in the warning. He tells us that we are dead in our sins, and that because of our sins, we are separated from God. And our sins have to be paid for in the presence of a holy God. 
But the love of God is not only seen in the warning, but it is seen in the provision of a way for us to escape that awful suffering for our sins. And that way is Jesus. And God didn't sacrifice someone else for our sins. He gave his life on the cross for you and for me. That's why John recorded the words of Jesus that greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. You will not find a greater love in all the world than the love of Jesus Christ that was put on display on the cross. And notice that his death, his substitutionary death in your place and in mine offers hope. Notice what he says in verse 18, that he might bring us to God. We who are unrighteous sinners, God has offered the perfect sacrifice for us and paid the price for our sins. And Jesus went to the cross for this purpose, and that was to bring you to God. You who had broken your relationship with God through sin, Jesus died on the cross for you. And that hope is alive today because of the last part of verse 18, that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit he suffered and he died but he rose again and he did it all to bring you to God Jesus suffered and he suffered unjustly but why did he do it to bring us to God so then this question why do we suffer why do we suffer even when we're doing good and I believe it's so that we through our suffering, might point others to the hope that we have in Jesus. In fact, to kind of close our service today, maybe we would write this prayer. Father, use my suffering to point others to the hope of Jesus. Would that be your prayer today? If it is, maybe just write it in the comments as a declaration and as a prayer and just pray it as you're writing it out. Father, use my suffering to point others to the hope of Jesus. So Peter tells us there's five responses to suffering. Consider yourself blessed by God. Don't be anxious or afraid when we suffer. Honor Christ in your hearts. And share the hope that's in you. And keep a good conscience. Let your life speak truth and point others to the hope that's found in Jesus. So I'm going to pray this for us today. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your word. And I thank you that even in the midst of our suffering, we can have hope. And help us, Lord, to heed your word as Peter wrote it out to these Christians who were suffering immensely in the Roman Empire. That when we suffer, to be reminded that we're blessed in that suffering. That you're going to use that suffering to strengthen us and make us more like Christ. And that suffering will be rewarded. God, help us to not be afraid or to be anxious, but to trust you and let our faith overcome fear. And in the midst of our suffering, may we honor Christ as Lord. And put him on the throne of our hearts and give him complete control and to live for him and to yield to his will above our own. And to be ready to share the hope that's within us. And that we would live out our faith and keep a good conscience toward those who might stand against your word 
and against righteousness. And Father, we pray that you would use our suffering to point others to the hope of Jesus. And we pray this to be done in Jesus' name. Amen.